0: Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 13 this morning. If you're getting ready to start or have already started a new semester in college, uh, postgraduate work, or uh, junior high or high school, would you stand real quickly? I want to have a word of prayer for you folks. Only two, three. All right, here we go. If you're going to school, please stand. (laughs) All right. I hope you make it a very certain um, habit in your life to pray for our youth in, re- in relationship to their spiritual and physical protection, but they would be light uh, where the Lord has them. Um, our world is, uh, has a voracious appetite, uh, First Peter 5 says, to devour those who seek to be light. And the God of this world has that appetite, and He's always hungry. He's always hungry. Uh, So pray for their spiritual protection. You that are standing, make sure that you're putting on the whole armor of God, like every day. Right? A couple of you aren't looking at me yet, but that's okay. I'm sure you're listening to me. You put on the whole armor of God every day. You've got to be in the Word. You've got to be talking to God. And then you've got to be following someone more spiritual than yourself. I'm assuming that would be your parent or your discipler. In addition to that, while you're away at school or whether you're at home, you need to be faithfully availing yourself to worship opportunities to be strengthened in the Word and by God's people. Just because you're going to school and maybe involved in extracurricular activities that doesn't allow us to even partially depart from those priorities we talk about um, every Sunday morning loving the Lord loving his word loving God's people and loving lost souls in the community and so I'll wrap up with this if you are a spirit-filled young person you won't be going through the motions of merely education this year or extracurriculars you'll be praying for a soul that needs the Lord That's in your environment. If you're a Spirit-filled saint, you cannot live those priorities without having an increasing burden for someone who's lost around you. And so every day, I want you to pray that the Lord will bring that soul to you and you to that soul. That's what you're here for. You're here for eternal purposes. You're not here merely for a degree or for a championship or for a job. Okay, so thank you for your faithfulness. I think all of you who are standing are doing a phenomenal job. Understanding the love of God just increase more and more, okay? We're proud to have you in our community being light. Uh, Just even more determined light this year, all right? Let's pray together for these young people. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunities we have to be in our world as ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ and for these folks, both young and older. We pray for their ambassadorships this year. Pray for their spiritual and physical protection. We pray, Lord, as they pursue the course of their degree field, that You would strengthen them, give them wisdom and understanding. May all those things that they absorb and learn fall out rather to the furtherance of their gospel testimony. uh, We look forward to seeing how you're going to use them in this particular eternal way. Um, Whether they continue to worship with us or head away and worship another church while they're going to school, we certainly, Lord, look forward to the testimonies of your grace in their life from them as we have opportunities to reunite again. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. How many of you are teachers? Would you stand? Homeschoolers? Public educators? Parochial Christian school educators? Ditto. All right. Let's pray for these folks. Lord, it's wonderful to have these saints standing before us this morning. And Lord, they're in multifaceted educational venues, from postgraduate work to early childhood education, in each one of their places of vocation. I pray the same for them as we did for the young people. And as teachers, Lord, help them always to be spiritual learners. Help them to grow in their understanding of a disciple-making lifestyle. Help them to understand that the most important thing in life is to spiritually reproduce life in another person that you've produced in us through the testimonies of those who have gone before us. May, these, uh, may this group of educators in our midst, to be primarily known as those who give a pledge of allegiance to the Great Commission in their life. Lord, spiritually and physically protect them, and we look forward to fruit that would remain from their ministries as they seek to gradually and consistently serve you right where you have them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 13. How many of you ever been stopped by a policeman? Raise your hand. Now let everyone look around. Let's uh, weep with those who weep. <laughs> all, right. all right. I'm sure that when you heard that siren or you saw those lights go on in your rearview mirror, you broke out into a psalm of praise. <laughs> right. And you continued to sing all the way. To the point where the officer came up to your window and spoke to you, and you continued to sing, and he was baffled by your praise. <laughs> he said, it's not a normal response I get from people that I pull over. But we were so incredibly mature, that's all we could do was sing praises like Paul and Barnabas in prison in Philippi. and uh, We're able to allow that to lead into a gospel conversation with that police officer, and nah, it's not the way it works typically, is it? How many of you just fell on your knees and began to praise the Lord when you were given by your tax person your tax bill last year? Or maybe you get that quarterly statement from your city in the mail, and you're awfully excited to get online and pay that bill or get out that checkbook and, and write, that, write that check. To local governments. It doesn't typically happen that way, does it? What happens when you come home from work after a long hard day and you see a notice on your door and it's from your city and it's a reminder to you that your neighbors don't like how long your grass is or they don't like the disrepair of your storage shed in your backyard. And the first thing that pops to your mind is, God bless their souls. I'm so thankful that, <laughs> that, they, that they have given pity to me and they understand how busy I am and how crazy my life is. And it's just such a sweet reminder that they've given me to, you know, even though you're layered with work and, and family and church and emergencies and We know that you have time to mow your grass, so get it done. Um, All of us are influenced by one of three institutions that the Lord has graced us with. And I use those words on purpose. All of us are influenced by the institution of human government that the Lord has graced us with. And this institution and our involvement with this particular institution of human government is to be a particular righteous involvement and interaction with this institution of human government. Before we even read the first seven verses of chapter 13, which is just the opening paragraph that describes how righteous people respond to the institution of human government, There's more verses after this. I think we are compelled by God's grace to remember the context of chapter 12. We have a foundation, verses 1 and 2. That foundation of being regularly transformed in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our logical, reasonable, human, spiritual service, right? That compels us to be properly involved into the community of God's grace, the local church, that develops a compassion in our lives that is holy and relational and passionate and aware. And that love, if it's healthy like that, will give us a tremendous burden for the lost. It thrusts us into Great Commission living, if you will, which we studied last time we were together in verses 17 to 21. And, In the original manuscripts there's no chapter breaks and and so really this love continues to demonstrate itself commissionally if you will into our relationship with human government these two chapters are forever divinely linked Christians who love well in the way we've described will present themselves to great commission living, even when it comes to being a citizen under civic authorities that the Lord's established for us. So there is a position that we have in Jesus Christ, chapters 1 through 11. There's certain practical dispositions that we live out because of the position we have in Jesus Christ, And we're going to see another layer, a significant layer of how God's grace operates in our lives in relationship to human government. I start with the reminder of that context because so many Christians for so many years have been unwittingly compartmentalizing chapter 13 verses 1 to 7 into a context all by itself without connecting it to the immediate context both before and after these verses. If we are going to have a proper understanding of the Word of God, we cannot do that. It's not what we seek to do. The only way we can maintain a proper position and disposition is to understand Scripture in light of its immediate context, its chapter context, and the book context, and the whole purpose and authorial intent for why any author wrote what they wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Understanding those brief introductory remarks, I want to point out to you here, and then we're going to read. This institution of human government is referred to by a number of synonyms in these seven verses. When we read through these verses, I want you to underline how many times the word authority or form of that word is used. It's the Greek word exousia. I want you to write down how many times the word minister or servant is used. There's two different Greek words for the three times those two terms are mentioned. The first two are the Greek word And the third one is a Greek word that's not often understood in the New Testament because it's not often explained within its context. The third word, the second word that we'll use, and it's the third time the word minister or servant is used in the context, is in reference to exclusive spiritual service by divine commission from the author of governments himself. You'll see this institution of human government called rulers, and you'll also see them as avengers. Avengers. Authority, minister, servant, rulers, and avengers. All of these titles are synonyms for the same people. These represent the paid, appointed, elected officials that oversee us in any civic matter in any civic matter. Now, let's read these verses together. In verse, verse 1 of chapter 13, every person. Now, uh, that's the ultimate goal for all saved and unsaved. But again, within our immediate context, every soul that claims to know Christ here, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority, has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves for rulers, are not a cause for fear, for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise of the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid." to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. I would like to divide these seven verses into three understandable points of an outline. And the first is found in the first line of verse number one. And it simply is this, our resolve to stand under the authority of human government. Our resolve to stand under the authority of human government. The second one that we'll see here, according to the grammar of the text, is found in the second part of verse 1, 1b, if you will, through verse 4, and then a parenthetical restatement of those verses found in verse 5. Verses 1b through 4, and then 5 is a parenthetical restatement of what we find in, in, in verses 1b through 4. And this just describes for us our reasons for standing under the authority of human government. Our resolve, and then our reasons why we stand under the authority of human government. Verses 6 and 7 speak of our remuneration our remuneration while standing under this divinely appointed entity. Our remuneration, verses 6 and 7. I seek to be as honest with Scripture as we can. I want to get through all of these if we can this morning, but I also seek to respect uh, decency and an order. And I love to stay on time as best we can, uh, so I'm not going to go past the normal time that we typically close. So let's cover as much as we can. Okay? Our resolve to stand under. Verse 1, Every person is to be in in subjection to the governing authorities. When we were reading through this first line of verse 1, we said that every person here would be in reference to every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. The next phrase says here, To be in subjection when you see this word subjection in the New Testament, your mind might drift to um, a definition of this word subject or subjection that might uh, um, lean in your understanding towards an understanding of complete and total obedience. And that's not what this term means. This term literally means to stand under not to sit under. In other words, we place ourselves under the authority. Every believer places themselves under the authority with wisdom. With wisdom. It's not just black and white rote obedience. It's with wisdom. We stand under. And I think as we move forward through the rest of the context, that initial imperative will make more and more sense to us. So continue to hang on as we continue here. Paul uses this word here uh, in a very critical point at the beginning to help us understand that this is not, not a time for us to switch off and say, okay, I'll just submit. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. Right? No, we're going we're to exist under their authority with, with wisdom. The governing authorities here are exactly what we mentioned before, from local to federal in our case. The mind of the first century believer would have understood this to be any, uh, any local paid or elected or appointed governing leader in any civic matter, in their culture. And this was to be the righteous person's resolve to wisely stand under these folks. Right. Now, point number two. say, Pastor Tim, that was the shortest point one you've ever had in 26 years. And that's okay, because this passage is going somewhere. I want to spend more time in the conclusion with you. This is our resolve. And remember, that resolve is the, is the overflow of what we know to be true in chapter 12. Our reasons for standing under this appointed divine authority. And this is what we find in the grammar to be what's called a chiastic structure. And I'll explain that for those of you who are newer to understanding and studying the Bible together. There are two reasons given here why we faithfully stand under these authorities. The first reason is found in the second part of verse 1 and verse 2. The reason is because God has appointed these people. For there is no authority except that authority comes from God. And those which exist are established by God. The grammar there in both those phrases is very certain. That's all I'll say. It's very, very immovably certain they're established by God. We understand in the Bible that God has given us three institutions. And three of those institutions, um, really uh, transdispensationally, <laughs> are effective. I won't get into that. Take a GLBI class Amen. to explain those things. All right? We have the institution of the home during what we call the dispensation of innocence, right? In Genesis 2.24, um, following the dispensation of innocence, right, there is the dispensation of conscience. Right? And following that is a time period of human government before the patriarchs and Genesis 9-6 is where we find the second institution of three that God has given us as mankind, and that's, the, def- that's the, uh, the institution of human government. And that's what Paul is addressing here, our responsibility to that God-given institution of human government. Of course, the third institution uh, is the institution of the church that Jesus prophesied of in Matthew 16, which came to fruition in Acts chapter 2. But we understand not just through Genesis 9, 6, but through other portions of Scripture as well that that God gives us, He graces us with His institution of human government. There is no authority except, in other words, they can't even function unless God gave them the right to function, whether they know it or not. And the text later on tells us that a lot of them do know where their authority comes from. We'll see that it's very interesting. And those that exist are established by God. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. Hold your finger here. And let's go back to the Old Testament and the book of Daniel. We'll look at Daniel 2 and then Daniel chapter 4. You get to Daniel chapter 2. Let's go down to verse... 37 and verse 38. This is an opportunity that was given for God's chosen servant here to give an interpretation of a dream. Verse 36 says, This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, verse 37, are the king of kings to whom the God of the heaven has given the kingdom, the power and strength and glory and wherever the sons of men dwell or the beasts of the field or the birds of the sky God has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them you are the head of gold go over to chapter 4 you understand that was the vision of the statue Nebuchadnezzar had had and Daniel begins to interpret that Daniel chapter 4, and verse 17. Interpretation of the great vision of the great tree. If you're familiar with the the Bible here in Daniel. Verse 17, the sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler... Over the realm of mankind and bestows on it whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. Go over to a major prophet, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, okay, and verse 23. Back a few pages here to your left. Isaiah chapter forty and verse twenty-three and verse twenty-four. It's a tremendous anthem or psalm here to the the greatness of God and in Isaiah chapter forty and verse twenty three he says, He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted scarcely have they been sown scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth but he merely blows on them and they wither and the storm carries them away like stubble cross reference right here next to these verses in Isaiah 40 Isaiah chapter 45 verses 1 through 7 which tells us the story of Cyrus and God raising up Cyrus a wicked king To rule in that particular Jewish historic context. But even though we see Cyrus, apparently, by his own human ingenuity and conniving and scheming, rising to rulership, uh, he could never claim that he got there by himself. It was still God who allowed that appointment. Go over with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 now. 1 Peter chapter 2. Other New Testament writers reference our responsibility to those in human government. The Old Testament reminds us from the institution of human government in Genesis 9 to multiple psalms and prophetic writings, that it is God who establishes these governments regardless of the dispensation of time. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Peter reminds us, among other texts within what he wrote of our responsibility to these folks. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governments as set by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance Of foolish men. Cross reference in the margin of your Bible here, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and also 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. That's a quick, but I hope efficient, biblical theology from the establishment of human government, how God perpetuates those he sets up and blows down, and our responsibility to the same throughout the whole scripture there is no authority except from god and those that exist are established by god that's reason number 1 reason number 2 is found in the second in the first line of uh, verse 2 of chapter 13 of romans so go back to romans 13 and let's look at the first line of verse 2. For reason number two, therefore whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they will oppose will receive condemnation upon themselves. If you resist the civic authority, you're going to pay the price. But the price that you pay is not merely civic judgment brought upon you. It's divine. Whom the Lord loves, He what? He chastens. And sometimes that's a direct act of chastening by God, and sometimes God has commissioned others to bring about his chastening. God is impartial when it comes to judgment in the Bible. If you do right, you'll be honored. If you do wrong, civic wrong, he'll use sometimes even unregenerate, appointed divine authority to bring judgment upon us. It goes on in verse number 3, very, very clearly. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what's good then, and you will have praise of the same. Four, It is a minister of God to you for good. For good. So, God's appointed these folks. They're divinely appointed. Reason number one. Reason number two, the latter part of verse two, and then verses three and four, these authorities are there to promote good and punish evil. You saw here in verse number four, the, word, the use of the word minister twice. I pointed that out at the early part as one of the synonyms for this institution of human government. Both those usages are the Greek word diakonos, where we would even get our word deacon for those who minister, uh, faithfully minister to us in the physical and material and financial aspects of our own church family. I find it very interesting here that a word that is typically used in the New Testament for servants in the local church is also used here of civic authority. They too are faithful ministers of the physical, the material, and the financial aspects of the culture in which we live. God's commissioned them to do this. But they are here as authorities to punish evildoers. That's what the text says. If I could draw your attention here again um, to verse 4. They're a deacon of God to do good, but if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a deacon of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. A little over a month ago, I was on my way to Sunday school and I turned the corner on Lakeshore Boulevard. and was heading down Hopkins, just north of Shore Junior High School. And, and um, I saw uh, flashing lights um, in the distance and I could tell that they were moving at a tremendous uh, rate of speed. And the closer they got, I counted nine police cars. Uh, I would say, easily doing 80 to 90 miles an hour down Hopkins Road. And, and the first thing that came to my mind was they found the guy who hit the police officer last night at 1 a.m. I had been in Mentor all my life, and I had never seen nine police cars barreling 80 miles an hour in a residential area. And I figured exactly, and that's for sure enough, they were on their way to the mineral lagoons where the fellow was, where he had covered up the car. And so they got to this fellow. They cuffed him with Officer Mazzani's cuffs, and you folks know the the rest of the story. Well, it's still not told yet, but nonetheless, I find the language here uh, very, very graphic, and, and I, I want to be I want to be helped to you by understanding what it says here. There are Avengers who brings wrath. The word wrath here is not Thumas it's orge in the Greek language and thumos is a a, when you see that particular word used for anger in the New Testament that's more of an immediate explosive anger this is uh, this would be demonstrative of a person who's not walking right with God who's quick-tempered immediately explosive the word orge as you understand its semantic domain and usage in this particular culture would have been a patient wrath this would have been um, in this particular situation uh, at least nine hours of patient wrath until it could bring down judgment. Right? God has established human government to be orge in its nature of wrath. They're, they're designed to, to put a protection over us that has a process, a due process of law, if you will, That's his original intention anyway. And after even human government has had its patience through due process, it still is given by God the authority to come down as hard on someone in judgment that would equal and parallel the degree of their crime. And these are God's deacons. They are to be revered and And we even see that in common grace, don't we, when Officer Mazaney's funeral or uh, Vu-Win's funeral. We see something uh, natural in the heart of even unsaved people to revere that person, to actually thank God for that person who they unwittingly maybe not have known was a deacon of God for our public safety. But these are the reasons. God's established them, and they are designed by God to bring patient wrath down upon those who do wickedly. What does Paul do here in verse 5? As we stated earlier, Paul repeats the demand to stand under, then repeats the reasons only in reverse order. So as we read verse 5, Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection. That's the the restatement of chapter 13, verse 1a. Not only because of wrath, that's the restatement of verses 3 and 4, but also for conscience sake, that's the way Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, seeks to restate verses 1b and 2. In other words, even unsaved men placed in this position of authority by God, they have a conscience. They have a conscience, again, whether wittingly or unwittingly, because they're made in God's image to follow through with what God's explained to us here through the hand of Paul in the second part of verse 1 and verse 2. Those are the reasons. The resolve, the twofold reasoning, and then number three, as we conclude, our remuneration while standing under." In other words, these folks deserve to get paid. What does the Bible say? A laborer is worthy of his hire. Appointed civic officers and representatives, they work. They're they're, they're, They're commissioned by God for these purposes. And so that's why verses 6 and 7 may be painful for us at times, but um, it is what it is. For because of this, you also pay taxes. The rulers there is in parenthesis telling us that the, the grammar just literally says, for deacons of God. But it's not deacons. It's not deacons. This is the third mention of a word servant or, mir- or, or, or minister. Um, this is the Greek root word where we would get our, our, our English word liturgy, or some, uh, a formal order of spiritual worship when we gather together, or a formal statement from the Word of God that we would speak when we're all gathered together. It's not diakonos. It's that It's used here. It brings even a more clear understanding of the purpose and nature that God has given government leaders in their divine placement. Every time the Septuagint uses this word, for those of you that are newer in the Lord, the Septuagint is just the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament Scriptures. Every time the Greek translates the Hebrew, This particular word is exclusively used of those who did temple service in Judaism. This is a sacred honor. It's used in the New Testament to describe those saints who served in the local church in Romans 15, 16. It's used of Paul. It's used in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25 as you write down cross-references of a man that Paul tremendously respected and commended to the Philippian church, Epaphroditus, who almost lost his life for the sake of the gospel as he served Paul. It's used in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 7 of angels. It's used of Christ himself as our high priest in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 2. And it's in reference again to the Old Testament priests in Hebrews 10 and verse 11. Why go through all this detail? Just to constantly remind us within the context of chapter 12 and verse 13 that these are divinely appointed folks and the language even proves that. And we're going to go to conclusion now and tell you why it's so important to understand these details. One author said, Paul could not more strongly have shown that civic leaders are, in fact, God's servants for God's purposes. We're to render what's due them. Verse 7, a general command explained here that it's not just a practical, but a dispositional response. It's not just financial remuneration, but custom to whom custom, that would add maybe to the financial. This is the indirect governmental assessments or custom duties. When the Lord moves to more than just the external action, He moves to the dispositional. It says fear to whom fear. This is the Greek word phobos. Christ demonstrated that heart in Matthew 22, verse 21. Honor to whom honor. Honor. Many theologians say that this is a summary statement to all that we've been given in verses 1-7. to There's a dispositional bowing of the knee, if you will. And you can cross-reference there to honor and honor 1 Timothy 2, verses 1-5, to where we're asked with five different synonyms for prayer to lift up those who are in authority over us in prayer. And I believe that's a gospel intent there, so that they would come to know Christ, that we would live in peace here. So Paul assumes that one's ultimate submission must be to God and that no human being can ever stand as the ultimate authority over a believer, but we are to still stand under them wisely. There are multiple times in Scripture where we're asked to stand under different authorities. Hebrews 13, 17, you are to stand under the authorities of those who rule over you in a spiritual sense. How Hus- wives, right? Submit yourselves to husband, children, obey yourself in the Lord, your parents in the Lord, employees, right, to employers, First Peter 2, Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, and so forth and so on. In every one of those situations, we find something that's natural in God's created order. It's axiomatic. It's the, it's the authority submission principle. And the general understanding of this authority submission principle is, you know what? A husband's never going to bat a thousand spiritually. Your boss isn't. Your pastors aren't. Right? Your parents aren't. And your government's not either. So generally speaking, understanding these are all sacred appointments of authority. We do our best as righteous, spirit-governed citizens to to, to place ourselves under them with respect and honor and at least try to appreciate when they win more battles than they lose to start off with. Because we understand throughout human history that God's people have been asked to wisely stand under governmental systems that have been placed by God that were tyrannical and despot-like. Hitler's, right? Herods right let's slaughter all those Jewish baby boys two years old or under what's the response of Joseph and Mary if you can't live under it go to Egypt (laughs) you don't disrespect it you can choose to change your citizenship if you wish but while you're there Don't assume that you could ever begin to understand all the multifaceted divine omniscient reasons why God has allowed a Nebuchadnezzar, a Herod, a Cyrus, a Nero to be raised up. But stand up wisely underneath them. The Lord Jesus Christ would remove Himself from certain situations when it wasn't his time yet to die. The Apostle Paul would escape if he could to avoid death. But what you find in the Lord Jesus Christ in John 21, John 19, before Pilate himself, I don't have the authority to put you to death, but Jesus says, what? Even if you did, it wasn't you that gave it to yourself. God gave it to you. So even, even in those situations, Jesus, Paul in the book of Acts, The apostle Peter, they're standing up wisely. And every time you see them standing up wisely under tyrannical leadership, what do you hear them saying? You don't have the authority to do what you want to do. God gave it to you, but I am going to be dispositionally respectful for you and to you because I realize that you're you're, you're a rebellious deacon of God, but God's still using you. Why? Why? Because in that moment, and we're not in that hour right now in the United States of America, but in that time when we're there, certainly you can choose to remove yourself for your life's sake. Nothing wrong with that. But the one thing we don't do is react. We act. We act with the spirit-filled disposition in those extreme times. Why? Because we may be the last will and... testament physically and spiritually that those desperate leaders have a chance to see Jesus Christ in human flesh their souls are still invaluable they still need to understand who he is because they're going to spend eternity forever somewhere so whether with human government marriage, work parents we find biblical normalcy, that most of the time we'll be able to surrender ourselves to those authorities because they generally do what's right. But they're going to make some mistakes. We are positionally righteous in Christ, and we're practically asked to be governed by the Spirit in those times when those authorities don't do the right thing. If God would sovereignly allow us to be under some type of tyrannical, life-threatening circumstance, what do we do? We act wisely. We stand under them with the right disposition. You can certainly choose to remove yourself. But as you remain there, we still have an opportunity to be light for Christ's sake. And those who were formerly Jews or still Jews, but now in Christ that were in the Church of Rome, folks. There was a particular threat going on in this particular culture, a Jewish, secular Jewish threat, right? And the historian Tacitus tells us that there was an actual Jewish revolt going on in the Roman Empire at this time over, at this time over increased excessive taxation on the Roman citizens. And the Jews were revolting. And these, this group of people were actually called the Zealots. And they became known in this culture as, as, as uh, political revolt uh, revolters in this culture. And, and, and Paul's saying, no, no, no there's a better way to do the right thing. Right? Let's make sure that they see Christ before they hear our political opinion. And while you're giving your political opinion, make sure they still see the disposition of Christ like He was before Pilate. And like Paul was. Acts 28, Acts 23. And like Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1 right before he's crucified upside down by Nero. Never lose our disposition. And never lose the fact that this is the outflow of chapter 12. This is what love does to live in commissionally in our world. In our world, let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. This is a lot to handle in a short time. and We thank you, Lord, for... The time in which we live, certainly we're not living underneath Nero's and Herod's and Cyrus's and Nebuchadnezzar's. We're not living under Mussolini's or Hitler's. Lord, we have been certainly blessed and and we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that we would seek to live by your grace as faithful as we can in in our action, in our disposition, in our action certainly, Lord, as we respond properly, we're going to have the opportunity for others to see us respond properly and say, how in the world could you respond so nicely and so clearly and so sweetly? And then we could tell them it's not because of us, but it's because of our Savior who did the same in the face of much more wicked rulers. And Lord, maybe we're going through this text because only You know the future, like You knew the future for the Church of Rome at this time, and maybe we're facing something that will be despot-like and tyrannical and violent and murderous. Uh, we don't know. Maybe this is a time of preparation to make sure we truly own what positional righteousness is in Jesus Christ and give us an opportunity to grow, voraciously grow, and to mature health in preparation for that which may be inevitable in our existence. Regardless, Lord, may love thrive. May souls who need the Lord Jesus Christ in this particular arena, if you've placed us there, since you've placed us there as citizens, and maybe you've placed us there as civic leaders, may folks see, souls see, the love of Christ in us more than they would ever see or hear of our political stance or position. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.